Turn, if you would, to the 14th chapter of the book of Mark. We have decided at our house that my dog is scared of the dark. Um, she gets very nervous in her old age. First it was storms, and now I think it's just the dark. So the other night she was up for three hours with my wife, trying to get her to calm down. We've given her the uh, CBD dog treats, and I think we're on to co uh, crack cocaine after this. But we, we finally did come up with the solution. I just leave the TV on all night, and she's fine. Uh, although one of my children did say that we were trying to brainwash her by making her watch Fox News. <laughs> Yesterday morning when I walked up, she was watching Bass Fishing Tournament, which I watched for 10 minutes, and you know what I didn't see in that 10 minutes? Fishing. There were a lot of people talking about fishing, but nobody was fishing. Really strange. We are halfway through chapter 14. If life is good, we'll make it to the end of it today, but I kind of doubt it. Um, Jesus has had the Last Supper. He has gone to the garden and prayed. That was last week's lesson. We had a discussion about his prayer that basically said, God, I know you can do anything. I don't want to do this. But whatever you want that's what I'm going to do. Not my will, but your will be done. And throughout this prayer, he keeps going back to his disciples who are sleeping. And finally, he ends uh, with verse uh, 41. Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And that's where we pick up today's lesson in verse 43. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve. It is interesting, they want you to know. Mark wants you to know this isn't some random Judas. And this isn't a Judas that we don't want to acknowledge. This is Judas, one of the twelve. Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. Judas is coming. He has a mob. The mob has clubs and swords. This is not necessarily the high priest and the scribes and the elders. This these are the goons for the high priest and the um, scribes and the elders. There were soldiers sort of around for the protection of the temple, and that's who these are. To the best of my knowledge, our church does not have a squad of goons with clubs and swords, so I think you're okay. So Judas comes leading this crowd. Now, I want to remind you, because sometimes we think this is odd. Why did they even need Judas? I mean, today we have facial recognition software. We can pick you out of a crowd. No problem. We know who you are. We've got nice, bright flashlights. We can light up an area. We can come find you. We'll send the drones over. They'll illuminate you. They'll find who you are, and we'll catch you. It's dark in the garden. It is dark. Dark. 
You and I have trouble knowing what real dark is like. There are no flashlights, there are no street lights, there's no whatever. So here's some guys coming with torches. And you know what? In the crowd, Jesus could have been this guy or that guy, they wouldn't have known. What they needed was a positive identification because if they didn't get the right guy, the right guy is going to go grab the mob, the crowd, and stir up a revolt, and they couldn't have that. So Judas had approached the high priest and says, what will you give me to help you? And remember, the priest gave him 30 pieces of silver. So Judas is going to give the positive ID in the middle of the night to this group of people. Okay? No problem. And the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. I think it's interesting that they identify Judas as Judas. But after they identify him as Judas, they don't call him Judas. They simply call him the betrayer. Remember Jesus' last words in last week's lesson? The betrayer is here. Then the betrayer walks up to him and kisses him. We have difficulty understanding the magnitude of Judas's sin. Sometimes we think, okay, it's just, I mean, he made a bad choice. Well, he did make a bad choice. But the interesting thing that we see, and Jesus has commented about this earlier, is that Jesus is on a path to the cross. It's going to happen. Jesus knows it's going to happen. He has agreed to it to happen. It's going to happen. And he knows someone is going to betray him. But at the same time, he says, but woe to that person who actually does the deed. Could Judas, here's that wonderful free will discussion, could Judas have done otherwise? And the answer is yes. Did Judas choose to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? Yes. Did he acknowledge that Jesus was the rabbi and then did he kiss him in a sign of friendship while he was betraying him? And the answer is yes. Judas is not a puppet. Jesus is not a puppet. These are individuals choosing a path that God has ordained to happen. Jesus, we saw last week, very clearly said, not my will, but your will. Jesus chose to be on the path that God ordained. Judas, for whatever motivation we can ascribe to him, chose to be on the path that God 
ordained. I am convinced Judas could have changed his mind as he was walking into the garden. In the same way that I am convinced that after the event, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, if Jesus had not killed, I mean, if Judas had not killed himself, Judas could have come to Jesus and Jesus would have forgiven him. Now, did he do that? No. Why? Because that's what sin does to us. Sin is what drove Judas to betray the person he had been living with for three years, traveling around the country. Judas had seen all the miracles that Jesus had done. Judas had been part of all the sermons, all the lessons, all the teachings. Judas had seen all of this. And for greed or for whatever reason, he had chosen to walk away. I suspect that it finally occurred to him that Jesus was not going to be put on the throne, that he was not going to be the new David sitting on the throne of David, and that it was time to cut and run. And he ran, and he got what money he could on his way out the door. He chose to do that. He chose to follow God's ordained plan. And for that, we remember him as the betrayer. And when he came up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him, and they laid, laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those, this would be one of the disciples, who stood by, drew his sword and struck the servant's of the high priest and cut off his ear. Okay? There's a strange discussion in some of the other Gospels where there's this hint of grab a sword if you got one. But there's also more discussion after this event with the ear where Jesus says, put that thing away. Okay? We're not going that path. Remember, we are told in the book of Luke, I think, if I wanted to, I could say the word and God would send down 12 legions of angels. Now, these people are being occupied by Roman soldiers. They would have some idea of what a legion is. A legion is 6,000 to 6,500 guys. So 12 legions of angels would be a boatload of angels. And just to give you a hint, because I've mentioned this before, because I think it's so fascinating. How many angels would it have taken? One with his hands tied behind his back. I mean, do you know what 12 legions of angels could have done? Anything God wanted them to do. I said last week that I'm going to repeat this every week for at least the last two and maybe the next two. What did I just say? Jesus 
freely chose to follow God's ordained plan. If Jesus had been in the garden and said, God, I don't want to do it, that would have been the end of it. Jesus would have gone back to heaven. You and I would have still died in our sins. If Jesus had given the word and 70,000 angels had appeared outside of Jerusalem around this garden, that would have been the end of the goons from the high priest. It would have been the end of the Roman Empire. It could have been the end of anything. And you and I would have still died in our sin. I started thinking about angels. You know that angels are spiritual beings, but we also know from Scripture that they can take on human form. So, you know, the way my weird mind thinks, you know, if the 12 legions of angels did show up, what would they have looked like? I mean, would they have looked like Roman soldiers with flaming swords? We've seen angels with flaming swords. You might not have seen them at all. I am reminded of the story with Elijah. You remember, not Elijah, Elisha. He was at his house one day, and his servant looked out the door, and he said, Master, we're doomed. There are armies all around us ready to kill us. And Elijah said, I don't worry about it. Are you nuts? And Elijah prayed a simple prayer. It wasn't deal with the bad guys. It was open my servant's eyes so he can see. And the servant looks out again, and yeah, there's the armies of the bad guys surrounding him. And there's also the armies of angels protecting them. Now, all Elijah would have had to do is given the word, and that would have been the end of the bad armies. But he didn't do that. He said, God, just blind them for a while, just for a while. And that's what he did. That's what the angels can do. Now, why did the disciple slice off the ear of the goon from the high priest? Maybe I shouldn't call them goons. The guards, okay? The hired help. You know, why did they do that? They still have in their mind. They still have in their mind. We're here to drive out the Romans. We're here to make the kingdom of God. We're here to be in charge. And we, the disciples, are going to sit around Jesus while he sits on the throne and we're going to rule the world. They still think that. And all it's going to take is one sword slicing off one ear of one guy, and that's going to be the spark that starts the revolution. And Jesus says, put that thing away. That's not why we're here. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Because I didn't mention it. Yeah. 
Did you hear that? One less ch last chance to be kind to, to your enemies. Yeah, I, I neglected to point out, because Mark doesn't bother pointing it out, that Jesus does heal the guy's ear. You've often wondered this, right? You probably think this all the time. I do. What did that goon think? That guard, excuse me. What did that guard think? You know? I know I just had my ear sliced off. It hurt like heck. And this dude that we're here to arrest, who's got to be a wicked, evil human being, or the high priest wouldn't have sent us, just put it back on. First off, how do you even do that? I mean, today we've got some pretty good doctors who could probably figure it out. But at the time, super glue? No. What did that guard go home and tell his wife that night? Yeah, had this strange thing. Lost an ear, got it back. I'm not sure how. <laughs> Unfortunately, as we've said over and over again, Mark is the quick Reader's Digest convinced version of the story. And we don't get all those wonderful details. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But let the scripture be fulfilled. Now, he's asking them a question that we, the reader, know the answer to. Every day for the last week, Jesus has been in the temple area. Sometimes he's been cleaning out the temple. Sometimes he's been teaching. He's been around. They knew exactly where he was during the daylight hours. And they didn't do anything about it. Why? Well, we know because the, uh, Mark records the discussion that the religious leaders had. We don't want to grab him in the daytime because the crowd loves him and we're worried that they will riot. If they riot, that might bring in the Roman soldiers who will squish us and our current power structure. So we've got to do it at night. We've got to do it away from the people. That's why we're going to go straight from this to the trial. Jesus is going to be tried by the Jews. Then he's going to be somewhat tried by the Romans on his way to his crucifixion. The Jews are going to do this in the middle of the night. Guess what? I'm not sure you're supposed to have trials in the middle of the night. They're going to do it at the home of the high priest. Why? Because they don't want the people to know. They are still worried that the people love Jesus. And the people don't think much of the high priest and his cronies. So they've got to get all of this taken care of before the sun comes up and the light shines on what they're doing. This is going to be an illegal trial. More about that in just a moment. But I really like Jesus' last sentence. Why did you come to me? I was there every day. You could have arrested me any 
time you wanted. And then he says, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Now, at this point, we could stop. We could stop. And I could have the next, I don't know, 50 lessons talking about how this event is going to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy. Let me just throw one in. We're going to talk about the trial. Okay? We're going to talk about the Jewish trial. We're going to talk about the Roman trial, such as it is. Why are there two trials? Well, Rome is occupying Jerusalem. They are occupying all of Palestine. As such, they are the guys in charge. Now, they have allowed the Jewish officials a certain amount of autonomy in a lot of civil court cases. They will not allow the Jews to execute somebody. So in order to execute Jesus, you have to try him among the Jews, then hand him over to the Romans so the Roman governor will say, yes, he needs to be executed. And then you can execute him. But this has always bugged me. Because you jump to the book of Acts and you see this deacon by the name of Stephen. And he is dragged out and he gives this wonderful speech, this wonderful sermon, the whole history of Israel, and he ends up talking about Jesus being, and the crowd gets ticked off and they stone him to death. Wait a minute. They're not allowed to do that. Because they never went to the Roman officials, so how could they do that? And there's a couple of speculations. One is the Sanhedrin didn't care. The other is it was just a mob. You know, a mob got up, said, we're going to kill him. We're going to do it. We get the big rocks and we're going to stone him to death. There were no Romans. If they had done the same with Jesus, he would have been stoned to death. But you know what? The Old Testament says he's going to hang on a tree. He's going to be crucified. So the Jews couldn't kill him. It had to be the Romans because the Romans were the ones that crucified people. Jesus said it is going to be the fulfillment of the scripture. You could, without question, start at Genesis chapter 1 and work your way to the end of Malachi, whatever the last verse is, and you could look at how Jesus fulfilled the scripture. And Jesus says, you know, you think you're in control of this. You know the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament, but you know the scriptures. I'm going to fulfill all of those scriptures. And that's his last word to them. And then verse 50, and they, the disciples, all left him and fled. Jesus had told them they were going to do this. And they had denied it with every ounce of strength they had. 
no way, we're not going to do this. We're not going to run. And it's odd because here we were three verses ago pulling out swords ready to fight against the guards. And then three verses later, they all leave. Why? Because they know Jesus is not going to declare himself to be king at that point. Jesus is there to fulfill Scripture. Jesus is there to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. And all of a sudden, it's time to get out of Dodge. Because if they're grabbing Jesus, they're going to grab us. If they hate Jesus, they're going to hate us. What good will it do if I stick around? And they all fled. Now, let me let you in on a little secret. You may get into some situation in your life where fear grabs a hold of you and you run away. Okay? I mean, you do, it's quite possible that that would happen. But let me give you the hope that Jesus had given them. Do you remember? When everything is over, I'll be waiting for you in Galilee. Come see me. He knew they were going to fall away. He knew when the shepherd was struck, all the sheep were going to run away. But he told them, don't despair. I'll be waiting for you in Galilee. Come see me. That's pretty amazing. That even before we had sinned by running away in fear, God had already said through Jesus, don't worry. I'll take care of that one too. That's why I'm convinced. That's why I'm convinced that if Judas had shown up on the Sea of Galilee, God, Jesus would have forgiven him. But he didn't, so he didn't. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, and he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Now, I know of no theological significance of these verses at all. <laughs> Church tradition says that this young man who is unnamed is John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark. We know that he was a disciple of Peter's, that later he traveled with Peter. He was instructed by Peter. The general assumed answer is that he was sitting there with this group of people. When they ran, he ran. And when he ran, one of the guards tried to grab him, grabbed his garment. He left the garment, and off he went, but naked. This is not mentioned in any of the other Gospels. I will assume the other Gospel writers were being kind to him. It's kind of embarrassing. But John Mark wants us to know that he, too, ran away. If I were him, I would not have put that in there. But you know, when the Holy Spirit tells you what to do, you do what the Holy Spirit tells you. 
And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. Uh, this description of the elders is probably the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the uh, religious body that kind of governed the religion of the area under the control of the high priest. There were 70 of them. All 70 of them did not need to be present to have a quorum. I think the answer was like 28 of them had to be there. So you had to get at least 28 of them to cram into Caiaphas' house, which actually probably isn't that bizarre because his house would have been a semi-public area for conducting business of some sort, and we're going to have the trial at his house. So we've got the high priest, Caiaphas. We have the scribes, which would have been the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, etc. We have the elders, at least enough of the Sanhedrin to convict Jesus of blasphemy. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council was seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Now, Remember, because this is going to talk about it. Remember, the Old Testament says you need at least two witnesses. You need at least two witnesses to say, yeah, I saw this guy rob the bank. Or I saw this guy take the stolen property. Or I saw this happen. You need two witnesses in order to convict someone. They were having trouble finding some witnesses. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. There were lots of guys really willing for a couple of bucks to come up with a story. But you know what? You get 10 guys that come up with 12 different stories, even if you want to kill the guy. You're having trouble convincing all of these Sanhedrin elders and scribes that this is a legitimate, a legitimate trial. Okay? They can't agree on what they're saying. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. You do know, right, that he didn't say that. He did not say, I will destroy this temple. What he did say was, you can destroy this temple... And he was talking about himself. You can destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll be back. Exactly what is about to happen. But they said, the guy says he's going to destroy the temple. To which they all look at each other like, how was he going to do that? Now, we do know in about 67 years, the temple is going to be destroyed, but it's going to take all of those Roman legions to do it. Yet even, uh, uh, yet even about the, this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. You know, for a defendant in a trial, he's actually doing really well. Okay, just being quiet and letting them fight it out amongst themselves. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And if this was you, or if this was me, 
this would be a really good time to keep your mouth shut. Not to criticize Jesus, but he doesn't keep his mouth shut. The question was asked him directly to him by the high priest. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? And Jesus said, I am. Now, we could get into a long theological discussion. Who did, when Moses asked the burning bush, who am I to say sent me to see, to rescue the Israelites? God said, tell them, I am. And Jesus answered, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds in heaven. Why in the world did Jesus answer the high priest? Yes, sir. It occurred to me, you know, we plead the fifth. Huh? And I was looking at the fifth commandment. Oh, <laughs> What's the fifth commandment? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, th I think he decided that uh, he knew where this was going. Not where the high priest wanted it to go, where his father wanted it to go. <laughs> and the high priest tore his garments and said, what Further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? Now, let's back up for a moment and defend Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the high priest. Caiaphas is the one who made the wonderful statement, it is better that one die than all of us get in trouble with the Romans. That's a loose translation. He tore his robes when he heard what Jesus said. Jesus was asked directly, are you? And Jesus said, yes. And Caiaphas says, we've heard enough. Every one of us in this room, more than two witnesses, a room full of witnesses have heard blasphemy. And you know what? Caiaphas was right. If Jesus was just some guy, the best teacher that ever existed on the planet, I told you I had a uh, professor one time. She loved Jesus and she loved Socrates. They were both teachers of wisdom and truth, and they both died for what they taught. End of story. If Jesus was just the greatest teacher that ever lived, he has just sat there in the middle of all the Jewish bigwigs and said, I am the Son of God. It was blasphemy. If all he was was the greatest teacher that ever lived. But if he spoke the truth, 
if he spoke the truth, he was the biggest threat to their authority that they could imagine. I'm pretty sure they didn't think he was speaking the truth. They thought he was some hick from the hill country of Galilee who was coming to the big city thinking he could stir up the people to stage a revolt against the Romans. The Romans would come in and squish us, and that would be the end of him and us, and we've got to get this guy out of the picture. That's what they thought. That's what they believed. You've heard the statement over and over again. It's attributed to C.S. Lewis, but I think it goes back further than him. You know, you hear people all the time saying Jesus was a great teacher, like my professor, like lots of people. Thomas Jefferson thought Jesus was a great teacher. But C.S. Lewis argues that he is either a liar, that is, he is saying that he is the Son of God when he knows he isn't, or he is a lunatic. He really does think he's the Son of God, and he's not. He's crazy. I mean, if I ever stand up here and say, I'm God, just come in with the you know, cuffs and lock me and send me to a padded room. I'm nuts. One of my favorite jokes. The guy's in the insane asylum thinks he's Napoleon Bonaparte. And one of the workers comes to him and says, why do you think you're, were, you were supposed to invade Russia? And he said, God told me to. And a voice from down the hall says, no, I didn't. <laughs> That's what Jesus is. He either knows that he's not the son of God and he's lying. And if he's lying, he's not really a good moral example for us. Or he's nuts, and if he's nuts, how in the world did he have all this great teaching that people love so much? So he's either a liar or a lunatic, or he is the Lord. That's your choices. And at this point in time, Jesus unequivocally said, I am the Messiah. Remember, Jesus had asked his disciples at some point, who do people say that I am? Well, some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're this. Some people think you're Elijah. What do you think? And, we, and they said, Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And Jesus said, shh, don't tell anybody. Jesus just told the highest authorities in the Jewish community, and to them it was blasphemy. You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? They all condemned him as deserving of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. The guards took him and beat him as they did so. 
And if that wasn't enough indignity, next week they're going to hand him over to the Romans. And we see another set of problems. What is the point of all of this? Remind you, Jesus is not being dragged into a path that he has no desire to follow. Well, he doesn't want to do it, but he's willing to do it. At any point, it could have been stopped. When he's in the garden, he could have just said no to God. When he's in the garden and the troops show up, he could have called his angels down. I mean, to be even more bizarre, he could have just walked off. Okay? Leave the disciples praying, walk off, Judas shows up, he has nobody to kiss. He could have kept his mouth shut, and I think the Jews would have still probably killed him, but at least it wouldn't have been so obvious. Jesus is going down a path that he's been on all of his life. And every bit of it is to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. And to be resurrected to show that there is hope for each and every one of us. And we know that because all of his disciples, all of them just ran away. And we know that those disciples are going to change the world. So something is going to happen. Something is going to happen. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on our behalf. Thank you that he was willing to do your will. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.